This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the future award-winning Moranalytics podcast is brought to you by Pulse Cellular. Pulse Cellular was created to give a better option for everyone out there looking for premium wireless phone service for less cost with straightforward plans, no strings attached, no confusing fine print, no BS whatsoever. They got you covered nationwide in the U.S. with unlimited talk and text, with premium fast LTE data plans, hotspot coverage at no additional cost in all 50 states, the Caribbean, Canada, and Mexico. Plans also include unlimited free Wi-Fi calls internationally when calling U.S. lines. There are no credit checks. There are no contracts. There are no overage costs. Like I said, no BS in here at all. Go visit PulseCellular.com. Find out for yourself that life is better with Pulse. Also, today's episode is brought to you by Matt Kundle Voiceovers. Matt Cundell started doing voice radio ads in the 90s. As his career progressed, he began to branch out into voice work for TV films, working with e-learning companies, voice solution groups. By 2015, he started working in voice full-time, and Matt's been killing it ever since. He's now president of the Sound Off Media Company. And if you need TV, radio, online videos, podcasts, telephone, corporate narrations, you name it. Matt Cundell is your guide for voiceovers. I've used Matt's voice for stuff multiple times, and I've been happy each and every single time. He does a fantastic job. Trust me, you can't go wrong with Matt. Go to mattcundell.ca for more information. All right, let's do this. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, podcast fans, what's going on? How you doing? Sup? Welcome to episode 122 of the Moranalytics podcast, presented by Pulse Cellular. Today's Friday, May 24th. Thank you, as always, for listening, for downloading. If you've not yet subscribed, please go ahead and do so. Coming up on today's episode, got a good one, man. I got my boy Jay Skursky from the Buffalo News, Buffalo Bills beat reporter at the News. He's going to be my guest. Got a lot to talk about. And I'll tell you what, too. Jay gives me, and you'll hear it in this interview, some, some props on the podcast and its success and all that. And I truly appreciate it, but I let him know this too, that he's a big reason why this podcast got past the first couple episodes and was able to really grow and go on and do some good things. And there were four people, okay? I started this podcast uh, 
February of 2018. And before I even launched that first episode, there were four core guys that I spoke with that I wanted to get their commitment to do the show. And that was for a variety of reasons. Obviously, some good sports talk, some knowledge, and some instant credibility that I thought would get the ball rolling for the podcast early on. And it did. And those people are, and Jay's one of them. Sal Capaccio from WGR, Tim Graham, who was Jay's colleague at the Buffalo News at the time. I had talked to him. Tyler Dunn from the Bleacher Report, who's a Western New York guy, of course. And, and Jay, those were the four guys that I had talked to before I even launched the show. And they were four of my first six guests. And they really helped a lot. They really helped me establish that early on credibility that would help this show continue to grow and go on and get more quality guests on a local level and then eventually on a national sports media level as well. So I owe a lot, I owe a lot to Jay. He's done a lot to help me, even if he didn't realize it, just doing that one episode and getting his commitment early on, it helped me a lot. So we talk about that. I talk about, you know, it's been a year since I had Jay on this podcast. And at the time we talked about his career in the Buffalo News and everything. And obviously since that year, a lot has changed there. At the time, the Buffalo News, everything was copacetic there, but not long after he was on, things changed. Long story short, and I'm not going to rehash it all here at the top, but a lot of veteran Buffalo News sports reporters left the newspaper for a variety of reasons, and you know that was a big adjustment for Jay. So I talked to him about that, how he felt at the time, how annoyed it got for him to keep getting asked the same questions over and over and over, which I'm sure happened last year. We spent some time talking about that and his kid, Elliot, who, by the way, man, five years old, this kid could hit the hell out of a golf ball. You got to see a couple of the videos that he's put out there on Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that. This kid is really good. We talk about that. And then, of course, we spent a lot of time talking about the Buffalo Bills. I get his thoughts on what it's going to be like to go to training camp this summer And the primary focus and the most interesting part of this team is covering the offensive line. You don't hear that often, but that's the way it is going to be with the Buffalo Bills this year. I think going into training camp, that's the most interesting part of the team because other than center, nothing is set in stone. There's a lot of guys buying for a lot of different positions. And some of these guys are versatile and they could play two or three different positions. So that's going to be a lot of fun to track. So we talk about that. We talk about LaShawn McCoy. Jerry Hughes, his new extension, Tyler Croft breaking his ankle. I also get his thoughts on Ed Oliver. And uh, I get a breakout candidate from him as well. There's a player on this team that he really likes a lot, and he thinks that he's poised for a big breakout this year. So plenty to talk about. Jay Skirsky with the Buffalo News. Really good interview. Going to have that for you in just a second. By the way, things have been a little hectic here for your boy. Um, We're getting ready to move. In fact, we're moving not this weekend, but next weekend. So things have been really hectic here. Not moving far, only moving about 10, 15 minutes away from where we are right now in Bradenton, Florida. But still, it's been a very hectic time. Honestly, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to get in these two podcasts this week, but I did. Ditto for next week. It's going to be even more hectic. But like I said, I'll be able to put out a show on Tuesday and Friday. Not quite sure as of yet who the guests will be for those two shows. Hoping that I've had a conversation with Matt Beauvais from Channel 7. Got some things that I want to talk to him about. So hopefully he'll be on either the show Tuesday or Friday of next week. And also one other thing too. And then we're going to get into my interview with Jay. 
typically, I don't want to say every week, but often I have a running with Joe segment on the Friday podcast episodes with my boy Joe from New York City. We weren't able to hook up in time this week for this show. Like I said, time's been tight and tough for me this week. I kind of feel bad, though, because Joe's my Thrones guy. Obviously, the series finale aired last Sunday, and I've spent several episodes over the last handful of weeks talking about Thrones, and I was really looking forward to doing that with Joe. Joe's a big Thrones guy. He has been from day one, where I was kind of late to the party. I didn't really get there until season seven. I binge-watched the first six seasons and then joined in for season seven. But anyway, here's what I would like to do, because obviously... I didn't get him on for the podcast today. I'm still going to tape a segment with him, Game of Thrones recap, and we'll talk about how the series wrapped, what his thoughts were on it. Maybe we'll play a little fantasy spinoff game. We'll just give a lot of thoughts. We'll have a lot of takes on it. And what I'm going to do instead of having it on the podcast is I'm going to tape it and I'm going to slap it up on our YouTube page, which by the way, go to YouTube, type in Analytics Podcast. I have a relatively new YouTube page up there. Hit subscribe there. Hit that little bell so you'll get notifications. I'll put up there a segment with Joe that I do purely on Game of Thrones. It'll be available for everyone there. Also, by the way, on that page, I'm constantly putting highlight clips up from current and past episodes, original audio content, stuff like that. So go check out that page. I'll definitely have a segment with Joe, a YouTube exclusive running with Joe segment where we'll talk about Thrones. That'll be fun. But anyway, enough about that, enough about Thrones, enough about YouTube. Let's get into today's podcast and today's interview. It is a good one. Here it is. Interview with my man, Jay Skirsky, Buffalo Bills beat writer for the Buffalo News. All right, my guest today is the Buffalo Bills beat writer at the Buffalo News. I had him on. During the infancy stages of this podcast, and a little more than a year later, it's a great time to have him back. One of my favorite sports writers out there, Jay Skursky. What's going on, Jay? How you doing? Hey, I'm uh, I'm feeling honored. I mean, I've, I've looked at the uh, the list of guests that you've had uh, on this podcast since I've been on, and uh, quite frankly, I don't know that I'm worthy. But I, I appreciate <laughs> oh, you asking me to come back. And uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, hey, you know, you're doing big things with it, and it's great to see how it's. Uh, I was grown and uh, what, what what is this? What did you say? Number one twenty two. Yeah, this is one twenty two. Yep. I mean that's awesome. Yeah. So to to do it, you know, to be the fifth guy and and now to follow up with you here a little more than a year later or whatever I guess it's been. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm happy to do it and uh, you know excited to to talk with you about some bills and, and whatever else is on your mind. Well, b- before we get started, we're going to talk about that. Let me do a little bit of pandering here because I appreciate you saying all those things, by the way, but. I give a lot of credit to you as well, because when I first started this podcast, nobody really knew about it. And I counted on a handful of guys right at the top. And that was you and I had Tim Graham and Sal Capaccio and Tyler Dunn. You guys were four of my first five guests on this podcast. And getting guys like you on very early on helped me establish some credibility and gave people a reason to listen to it. So you get some of that credit, man. You <laughs> It has grown. And I appreciate that. But you know, you're one of those reasons why it was able to grow because I was able to get guys like you on early on to talk bills and talk a little bit about life and sports and stuff like that. And it really went over well. So props to you too, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, I'm happy to do it anytime. Well, like I said, you were my guest all the way back 
in the fifth episode of this podcast. By the way, and I'll put it in the show notes as well, the link to it. Go back and listen to that, out people out there listening, because it was a good interview. We talked some bills. That was before last season started, obviously. But we also talked about life, your your career growing up, you know, your sports media career, all that stuff. So good interview and a chance for fans to get to know a lot more about you. So go back and listen to that. What I do want to ask you is this, all right? So Because it's been a while, man. How's life going? I had you on last March. It's been 14 months. I know a lot has changed, but how's life? How's Melissa doing? How's your boy Elliot doing? Who, by the way, man, I've seen some of the golf videos that you've had out there, you and <laughs> Melissa. Kid's got yeah. a nice swing, dude. He's got a nice swing, man. I'm telling you, well, that's where we were tonight. Uh, I got a couple of stories done for the paper, and uh, we hustled over to get nine holes in before dark. And uh, yeah, he's doing really well with it. He loves it. I mean, you know, he's only five years old. He turned five in March. And at that age, you know, you, you can't really take it too seriously. Um, you just want him to, to have fun with it. And uh, we played until the sun went down and then maybe even another hole after the sun went down. He uh, he would stay out on the golf course all day long uh, if I let him. And so it's just really cool to see. It's really special for me. Uh, you know, I grew up playing with my dad. He taught me the game. And, you know, not, not that I was ever a serious player or anything like that. I mean, I like to think I'm maybe a little bit better than the average player, but I, you know, I, I love the game. I, I love the lessons that it can teach. I love, you know, just being outside and, and getting to spend time now the way that I did with my dad and still do with my dad. I still get to play with him and now sometimes get to take Elliot out with the, you know, with the two of us. And, and that's just really, really cool. It's really special for me. My wife loves it. Number one, because it gets us out of the house for a while and she gets some quiet time, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. you know, yeah, but it's just, uh, yeah, it's really cool to watch him uh, kind of grow and, and progress. And, you know, who knows where this thing's going to go. I, you know, we, my, my wife and I definitely joke sometimes about how that's our retirement plan, but I know that's, uh, you know, that's thinking big, but he definitely, and I'm obviously biased, but he, he's definitely got a skill for it because, he doesn't let me help him. I mean, it's, it's all natural and he's hitting the ball, you know, really, really well. And, you know, if he, if he learns how to putt a little bit, uh, you know, I think that's the, the toughest thing for really young kids when they start, when they start out is, is putting and you know, what, what comes along with that, but you know, whatever there, there's plenty of time for that. It, it just the fact that, that he likes to be out there so much is, is really cool for me. Sure. And you get a sense, you're a sports guy, so you can kind of get a sense whether it's your child, and I'm sure you're able, obviously you love your kid and you want him to do the best and all that stuff, but you're also going to be an unbiased observer of his swing for his age and stuff like that. And you probably know that he might just have that little something extra. Some kids are just a natural at some things. You know, I, I grew up with my son playing football and I don't I want to talk too much about his football career and stuff, but I knew at a young age that he just kind of separated himself from other kids at his age playing football. You kind of get that sense with your kid too. I mean, for being five years old, and I again, you don't even have to tell me. I, I've seen videos of him hitting the <laughs> ball. I he just he doesn't look like he's swinging like a five year old. You know what I'm saying? He just has that little knack, that natural gift that just some kids just have it. Yeah, I think you know the one thing that really stands out for Elliot. Um, you know, when I watch him as an athlete, I mean, again, I guess five. So I, I just want I want to you know kind of caution you know and then just sort of preface that by saying, listen, I know it. He's a five-year-old. But <laughs> yeah, he, his, right. his hand-eye coordination is just out of this world, and it always has been. I mean, at, at that age, hitting the golf ball is an accomplishment for a lot of kids. You know, sure. never mind where it goes. And he doesn't miss the. He does not miss the ball when he swings, and it and it actually translate translates over to baseball too. And 
And I joke, you know, with my wife all the time, you know, if golf doesn't work, maybe baseball will. I mean, he loves baseball um, and, and he's terrific at it with it, with his hand-eye coordination. So, you know, I would say those two sports are really, you know, what he's gravitated toward. Um, I always say that, you know, I, I'm hoping that he'll get into basketball just because he's going to be tall. You know, I'm six one. My wife is uh, all of five foot eleven, if not six foot. And, you know, the doctors have told us that, you know, Elliot's expected to be about six foot four. So, I mean, he's got size to play basketball if, uh, you know, if he wants to. And, and he just but he loves every sport. You know what I mean? It's it, it, when football's on, he's watching the Bills. When the Sabres are on, he's watching every Sabres game, even when, you know, the season uh, went as well, you know, as, as it went the last couple of years. And, and those games sort of became brutal to watch. But we're there all the time. And I guess that's the one uh, sort of silver lining for me when the Sabres struggling so much. You can get tickets on, you know, StubHub for like six bucks so yeah. I can take my son all the time, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, whatever sport is on, he he's into it. He's watching it. And, uh, you know, my you know, Missy, my wife, she jokes all the time, like, he, it would be impossible for him to be any more my son because we just share the same interests, you know? You know, you said something else before we move on to that really caught my interest when you were describing him playing golf. Talking about yourself and your father when you were a kid. It's funny. You're kind of like around the same age as me, a little bit younger, but kind of in the same boat where life is coming full circle for you. In fact, I was having this conversation just with my wife literally yesterday. My father, he's passed away a long time ago, but it was his birthday. And I was thinking my son was in the shower. Okay. Now he's a teenager and he's playing hip hop music. He's in the Drake and God, I look, I, I'm not hip enough. I, I couldn't even tell you the people that he's into. Okay. <laughs> I, I hate it. And I hate hip hop music today. But when I grew up, when I was a teenager, I loved hip hop music, man. Run DMC and LL Cool J and Public Enemy. I was walking around my boombox blasting that music and it was driving my dad was all old, grumpy and crazy, hating on my hip hop. Now I'm the old grumpy guy who's hating <laughs> my son's hip hop. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of funny. Like you said, with your dad and golf, how just life seems to come full circle for people like us when we get to our age, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. And I, I think I saw your, your post on, on Facebook about that. And I, and I definitely, you know, can relate because I, I feel like I'm finding myself like, you know, it's Elliot's a little bit too young right now to be, you know, to have any sort of real musical interests or anything like that. But I find myself saying the same thing. Now I'm different than you because I loved hip hop growing up. So like, but I'm like notorious B I G and Tupac. And that was yeah, like, yeah, the classic, yeah. you know, that, that was the classic era for me. And, you know, now I hear some of this, this new stuff and, and Drake, I don't mind, but like some of that, you know, that newer stuff that you mentioned that your son is listening to, that's just not for me. And I guess that's just what happens, right? You know, yeah. we, we get older, we get set in our ways and we like what we like, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely, man. <laughs> All right. So I want to talk bills for a few, but before that real quick, man, let's talk about your past year professionally. So much has changed obviously over the past year <laughs> and it's changed since I had you on this podcast when you were on the first time, Jerry Sullivan and Bucky and, and John and Tim, among others, they were all still your Buffalo news colleagues. And not long after that podcast, which we, I think we did that late March last year, those guys all left for a variety of reasons. Not going to get into who, what, or why that shit's very old news now at this point, but let me ask you this. Okay. How much of a change in adjustment has it been for you and for the sports department over the past year. I mean, that's a lot of turnover in a very short period of time. That had to be tough, at least early on anyway, to, to adjust to everything that was going on around you. 
Yeah, well, I mean, let me let me start by saying that, you know, those are two different questions. And if I want to, you know, let's let's, you know, just start with me individually and sure. what it, you know, what it meant for me. I think that and I, I was asked this question, a similar question uh, in a and a that I did with Buffalo Rumblings that, uh, you know, maybe some some people saw I got some nice, nice feedback on it after I ran. And my answer then is the same as is my answer now. I miss working with all of those guys terribly. I think they're all super, super talented journalists. You know, I junk or I joke around calling Jerry Sullivan, uncle Sully. And, and, but you know, it's, that's the level of affection that I have for Jerry, that I consider him uh, almost a family member. Right. I mean, he is, you know, he's a dear, dear friend of mine. He's always going to be that, uh, you know, Tim Graham is a, a mentor of mine, a guy that I think is, you know, maybe the most talented long form journalist in the country. And, so working with Tim, you know, w- w- was an honor and a thrill. And, you know, he's still a friend even, you know, and, and that's not going to change. And John Vogel, I think, you know, his Sabres coverage was sort of a guide, you know, in, in my mind for how to be a beat writer. And, I, you know, I looked at a lot of what John did and said, man, if I can bring this to the Bills, I'll have something. And, you know, Bucky Gleason, same way with Sully, uh, you know, just a, a terrific friend, a great guy, great guy to have as a coworker. Uh, Bob DeCesare, too, who yeah. you know maybe doesn't get mentioned quite as often, but but really should get everything at the paper from editor to columnist to beat writer and did it all well. So personally, that was very, very difficult and, and still is. I miss working with those guys. Uh, they're talented and they're good people uh, in terms of, you know, what it meant for the paper. That's a tricky question because. It, well, let me let me back up a little bit and say, in terms of what it meant for me individually and my role at the paper, honestly, it didn't mean a heck of a lot. And, right. You know, that's because I cover the bills. I still cover the bills. So my job, you know, did not change at all. It's not like those guys walked out the door and they said, OK, Jay, you're going to go from covering whatever high schools or colleges or, you know, the Sabres or the Bisons or whatever. And now we're going to put you on the bills. That would have been a huge change for me. And, you know, that's just not what happened. It was, you know, my job was the same the day before those guys left and the day after those guys left. My job didn't change. So individually that way, it was it wasn't like I had to make much of an adjustment. And, you know, the reasons that they that they all left, uh, you know, I, I would leave that for them to explain as much as or as much as or as little as they want to. I would say, though, that they all had their reasons and they all made their individual decisions. And, and that's to be respected. I mean, there's nothing that I'm going to say, it, you know, they all made individual choices and that's that's what was best for them at the time. So what did it mean for the department? Yeah, I mean, let, let's face it. I mean, you have to admit that it was there's been a lot of shuffling and there's a lot of new faces uh, some new roles and, and that kind of thing. You know, I, I do think that the the idea that the, uh, the, you know, the paper, especially the sports section was, you know, it was like closing or something like that is not true. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. we're still there. We're still doing our, you know, we're still trying to do the best job that we can. Uh, I'm still, you know, trying to cover the bills as best I can. I know Mike Harrington's trying to cover the Sabres as best he can. Um, so, you, you know, it's not like... Um, I, I don't want it to come across as like this is like a eulogy for the sports department. You know what I mean? Right, it's, uh, right, it, right. it was it was a drastic change, uh, but it's one that that occurred. And and you know you sort of I hate to say it, you know it's cliched, but you know life goes on, and, and you got to make the best of it. And and I think that's what 
you know, that's what I, at least I've personally tried to do. When all this stuff first started going down, did you get a little bit tired and annoyed at times with what I would assume is being asked the same question over and over again? People saying, you know, like, well, what the hell's going on with the Buffalo Sports Department? You know what I mean? It was uh, because it was a big news at the time. It was very big news at the time. You had an exodus of veteran sports writers from the town's newspaper and also the timing because there wasn't a lot going on in the sports world. So with the Sabres season was done and the, it was during the Bills offseason as well. This was a big, not just, you know, it's not a sports team, but this was a big sports story in Western New York. I had to imagine just being asked the same things over and over and over about the Buffalo news and wondering what the hell's going on. If the department's going to fold, you know, stuff like that. It had to have been uh, very annoying for you. I would assume anyway, at first being asked all these same questions. Well, I I guess the one thing that just was a a, a bit frustrating was the idea that, and I, you know, it, it upset me a lot and it still does. You know, when I see like people, who will comment to Jerry or, or to Bucky on Twitter? Well, that's why the Buffalo News fired you. Well, that's not what happened. Okay, right. let's let's you know let's try to set the record straight there a little bit. And I that that misinformation bothered me a little bit. Still does, you know, when I see that. I mean, the the situation was, uh, you know, individuals who worked at the paper were offered buyouts, and and as I said, some of them decided for whatever reason that that was in their best interest to take them. Though that that is a very different situation. Than being fired or right. being asked to leave, you know, and and I I just want people to have the story straight and to have it be you know talked about at least accurately. Be fair about it, you know. Talk about what happened and whether it's good for the paper or bad for the paper. That can be debated, and I can understand where people may may you know feel like that's a negative for the paper and express that opinion. But if you're going to do so, do it accurately at least. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. And I've had the opportunity, except for Bob, I haven't had an opportunity to have Bob on yet, but I've had Jerry and Bucky, John, Tim, they've all been on the show and they all have their own separate reasons and their own stories. And for the most part, I'll say for the most part, you know, they, they hadn't, they still had a lot of good things to say about the news and vice versa with Buffalo news guys about them. It was a lot of respect there. And I've had Jason and Lance, some of the new guys on, haven't had Rachel on yet. I'll have her on soon, but it's everything's fine. Everything worked out. In fact, I I say this all the time, and I think the real winner in this, and this is another question I want to ask you, and then we're going to talk bills, all right? I've always sure. felt like the competition breeds the best of people. Maybe from your point of view, new outlets popping up isn't always the best thing. I'm not saying you specifically, but just any writer. You know, new outlets come up, you're like, oh, well, whatever, man. But from a fan's perspective, having the athletic pop up is a good thing because I think it really pushes the Buffalo News, and The Athletic, to both work even harder to pump out good content. I, I use this reference before, and maybe only wrestling fans will understand it, but it's like when WCW and WWE had their Monday Night War back in the late 90s. I think <laughs> both sides probably put out the best product that they ever had, ever, at that time. You know what I mean? You kind of feel the same way right now, like, with The Athletic. You know you guys got to, not that you didn't work hard before. You've always worked hard. I'm not just about you personally. I'm talking about the whole entire sports department. Yeah, You guys yeah. have always put out a good product, but even now, more than ever, it's like you know that you have to. Conversely, with the athletic, and it's not just you two. I'm I'm using you too, but there's plenty of other outlets as well. But I'm sure on their end, they're like same deal. You know, we want to stay up. We got to keep up with the Buffalo News. We got to do this. We got to do that. Uh, I feel like the fans are the real winner in this because you guys are being pushed to to compete with each other by putting out good quality content more than ever. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I hope that that's the case. I, I hope that people feel that way. I, I certainly feel I, I certainly feel that's pretty accurate in that, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, wary that, hey, we got to, you know, we got to do the best we can every day. And we've got to try to, you know, give people things that they're going to be interested to read about and, and be compelling. And we, we sort of serve, you know, I think slightly different markets in, in some ways, the athletic and the Buffalo news, but I don't want to limit it to just those two, as you said, because there's uh, people at, at WGR and there are people at, at the, at the TV stations who are all doing good work sure. and, and not, you know, even go past that to, you know, to, to fan websites and blogs and things like that. And, and people are writing, about the bills, uh, very intelligently in the, in those avenues too. So I think, you know, it's, uh, there's no shortage of, of things to read and quality things to read or to watch, uh, or to listen to, or, you know, however you want to consume your bills information. I think there are a lot of different ways to do that. And, you know, we get knocked as being, you know, sort of a small market, but when I look at the talent that's in this market, there's no doubt in my mind that, a guy like Tim Graham could go work in any city in the country. A guy like Matt Fairburn, who is really young, is, you know, is, is tremendously talented. And I, there's no denying that. You know, I like to think that I could explore, you know, uh, other uh, avenues, sure. not the saying that, that I wanted to or anything like that or, or that I am. But I think that what I'm trying to say is that I think that there are a lot there's a lot of talent in this market in the media uh, covering the bills, covering the sabers, whatever, what may have you, uh, you know, and, and I think that that brings out, you know, quality in all of us. I hope it does at least. And, uh, as you said, I think it, you know, if you're, if you're consuming bills information, I think you've got no shortage of options and quality options, uh, to get that information. Well, let me tell you this much, man. And then we're going to move on here. I'm a Buffalo Bills guy, first and foremost. I mean, I'm a sports fan, but I'm a Bills guy. And you still got you, you still got Mark, you still got Vic. The Bills coverage at the Buffalo News is as good as any newspaper that I've seen anywhere, okay? And I live in the Florida market, dude. And I don't know the writers, like I obviously know all you guys in Buffalo, but I read all the Tampa Bay papers. I read all the Miami papers all the time. And the Buffalo News Sports Department blows both of them away, and it's not even close. And I'm not pandering to you because I got you on the show. I legitimately mean <laughs> that. I'd be telling the same. I don't care who was my guest. I'd be saying the same thing. So anyway, let's move on, dude. Let's let's talk bills. That is why I got you on the show, all right? I want to start with the yes. OTAs. That's one on this week. Tyler Croft, first day of OTAs, breaks his foot, surgery required, same foot he injured last year. How concerning is that? How much does that set the bills back? What do you expect the team to do in his absence? And do you think that, Maybe that increases the chances that they're going to go out and find someone from the outside. I do think it increases the chances. I don't think that it guarantees that that'll happen. I, I, you know, I think that that will ultimately come down to two things. Number one, what is the long-term prognosis for, for Tyler Croft? I don't know that the bills have settled on that exactly just yet. I mean, given that the injury is so fresh and, you know, surgery just occurred. So I, I think they're going to take a little bit of time get a feel for how long he's going to be out. And then of course, obviously the second part of that is, you know, I, I know that the name that's been floated probably most often is Kyle Rudolph from Minnesota. Well, what's the cost going to be? You have to remember that. And, and this is, this doesn't apply to just tight end. This applies to really, however, this team wants to go about building the roster. If it's through a trade, they only have six draft picks right now next year, and they're not getting any compensatory picks. So they're not going to they're going in kind of shorthanded in terms of draft capital next year. I don't know that they're going to be willing or want 
to trade really many of those picks, if any of them, even if it were a, a day three pick, because if you want to build through the draft, you've got to give yourself some options. And, and right now, at least next year, they don't have a ton of those. And I, and I, as I said, I don't see, I don't see them acquiring other draft picks unless it's, you know, at next year's draft in, in a move down or something like that. So uh, as it relates to Croft, though, you know, how concerning is it? I think it's a big concern. I mean, the fact that it's the same foot that he injured last season to me is very, very troublesome. And and I know that, you know, NFL Network, I think it was Ian Rappaport, had a, a timeline of three to four months. That puts us right at the start of the regular season. I mean, if that's the case, he's not going to have participated in any spring practices, any training camp, any of the preseason games. I think it's far-fetched to think that he's going to be able to come in and say it's week three and he's ready to play and be a starter and be out there for 60 or 70 snaps a game the way the starting tight end on this team, you know, in the in recent years, Charles Clay was getting 85, 90% of the snaps sometimes in games. Tyler Croft's not going to be ready to do that right away. So how do they go about replacing what they thought they were going to have in Tyler Croft is going to, it has all of a sudden become a huge question for this team in the spring. I think probably the guy that it benefits the most is, is somebody like Jason Kroom, who I think was probably on the roster bubble after what they had done in free agency with Croft, with Lee Smith, and then particularly in the draft with Dawson Knox and Tommy Sweeney. I think now if Croft is, say, on, on the uh, physically unable to perform list at the start of the season, well, then maybe you're keeping Jason Kroom around. So I think it opens the door for Kroom to really try to show that, you know, he deserves not only a roster spot, but, uh, you know, a contributing spot on the 53. This is semi-related to the tight end position, but because I haven't talked to you since the draft, I wanted to ask you, man, TJ Hawkinson went one pick before, I believe he went one pick before the Bills were on the clock, and of course they took Ed Oliver. There was a lot of talk and a lot of buzz, and you cover the team, obviously, about the Bills being interested in TJ Hawkinson. Had Jacksonville, or it was Detroit, I'm sorry, had they taken somebody else and both were on the board, do you think that the Bills would have had a tough decision to make, or do you think it was Ed Oliver all the way? Uh, I think that they would have at least thought about it a little bit more. Uh, I don't think they would have, you know, as soon as they went on the clock, say, okay, Ed Oliver's the pick. I do still think, though, that at the end of the day, Ed Oliver would have been the pick. I think by the, you know, by signing Tyler Croft and giving him the, the type of contract that they gave him, Clearly, they had a role in mind for him. Now, I do think, though, that the the interesting thing is, is had the draft fallen a little bit differently and Ed Oliver had gone in the in, in the top eight picks and TJ Hawkinson was on the board, I very I, I think there's a very, very good possibility he would have been the pick at number nine. Let's I mean, let's just flip flop it. Let's say Detroit takes Oliver at eight. I think the Bills are happy to take Hawkinson at nine. Now, what about Lee Smith? They signed him and this happened before the Tyler Croft injury. So I don't really don't think it had much to do with Tyler Croft, but what did you think of the signing of Lee Smith? Which again, that happened before the injury. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, I, I think that the, the thing that caught my attention and maybe raised my eyebrows a little bit was just that it was a three-year deal. Uh, and really that pretty much guarantees him a roster spot. And, you know, I think, you know, he's going to fill that blocking tight end role that a lot of different teams have. I mean, you know, if you look at the course of his career, four years in Buffalo, and then four years out in Oakland, he has not ever put up prolific passing numbers. That's just not what you're going to expect from Lee Smith. He is a blocker and first and foremost, a run blocker, not even uh, necessarily a pass, uh, you know, a pass blocker. So I think, I think he's going to fill one of those, 
second slash third tight end spots, but he's not going to be a guy that's going to, you're not going to ask him to do what you were going to ask Tyler Croft to do in the passing game. That's why I think, like I said before, I think it becomes a guy like Jason Kroom who can he develop at least in that pass catching role and and sort of fill the loss that they would have uh, of Tyler Croft. And then I want to mention too, you know, Dawson Knox, how quickly can he develop? Obviously, Trading two fourth round picks to move up into the third round, the Bills like this kid, and I think he, you know, he's pretty raw. It's, it's uh, going to be a stretch to, to think that he's going to be the starter day one or week one, but I think you know if, if he can contribute and, and become you know a, a meaningful participant in that tight end rotation, that would be a good development. Now, one of the things I'm sure that you're interested in covering over the next couple weeks and months is going to be the offensive line at OTAs, minicamp, training camp, etc just weird because you usually don't think much about the offensive line, but that's not going to be the case in Buffalo this year because there's competition. And we hear that word competition. You always are going to bring in these guys are going to compete, blah, 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 blah. You know, who's playing where 90% of the time when it comes, especially to a team like the Buffalo bills, who doesn't always have the best death, but that's not going to be the case this year. There's going to be legitimate competition. We know that Mitch Morse is going to start at center. I think that's the only guy among the four that we're absolutely positive is going to be a starter on the offensive line, at least where they're going to start anyway. You got a bunch of guys who may or may not start. And not only that, furthermore, you got a bunch of guys who could play more than one position on the offensive line. So we don't know who's going to be where, and that's pretty interesting to me. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I think, you know, you look at it right now. I mean, it, just if you go off of, you know, the the OTA practice that we able, that we were able to watch on Tuesday, you know, four different starters from last year. The only returning uh, starter is Deion Dawkins on the left side at left tackle. My, you know, the thing that I, I there's, let, let's start at the tackle position, right? Dawkins to me is the most interesting question on this line. Yeah. Can he become a franchise left tackle? That is a huge, huge question mark for this team. And they need him quite frankly to develop and, and to have a better season than he had last year, if they're going to keep him in that spot. You know, the good news for them is that they they did go out and they gave themselves some options. Ty Naseki, who they got from Washington, you know, the, the people who covered the Redskins said that he was better on the left side than he was on the right side. Yeah, if right. Dan Dawkins, you know, if Dan Dawkins struggles, I think Ty Naseki goes into that spot. And then, obviously, if you're moving up to draft Cody, Cody, uh, Cody Ford, excuse me, in the second round, that's to, that's to be a starter and that's to be a starter relatively soon in his professional career. And if they're starting him at right tackle, meaning that's the position that he's going to play, then I think, you know, he's going, you know, he, it's not going to be long before he's in the starting lineup. So then, you know, it becomes, okay, you've got your center in Morse. You've, you've got your long-term right tackle in Cody Ford. You hope that you've got your long-term left tackle in Deion Dawkins. And then you've got yourself, some pretty quality depth with Ty Naseki and, and La Adrian Waddle. And that's before we even get to the guard positions. And I think those, both of them are wide open. I mean, sure. you've got Spencer Long, John Feliciano, Quentin Spain, and Wyatt Teller, who was with this team last year. You know, those are four guys competing for two, you know, two, uh, two starting spots. And I have absolutely no idea at this point how that's going to turn out. And the, the tough thing right now for, for the bills is, they really don't want to go through any injuries up front and they have to do that now with Mitch Morse not being in there. Those guys need as much time together as they can possibly get. And the coaching staff kind of needs to see 
as many different combinations as they can. And with Morse, you know, with Morse being out now, they're unable to do that. So they've got Feliciano as the starting center, uh, at least in the, in, in the uh, first OTA practice that we were able to, to watch. And so that, I think that's going to just sort of heighten the urgency when training camp rolls around to kind of get those five set. And I think it could go a lot of different ways. It's not out of question that they have five different starters along the offensive line. And that is unheard of turnover, even in the NFL where guys change the teams quite often. I don't know how often it's been that team uh, that a team would have five new offensive line starters. I right, see so you've been covering the bills for quite a while now. I don't, have you ever went into a training camp more focused on an offensive line than any other position or Maybe not just even focus where the most interesting part of this team right now might be the offensive <laughs> line going into the summer. I don't think I can remember that. And you, you know, it's funny. You must have like a, a a bug on my phone. We were I was talking to my boss earlier today about that very thing, and we were sort of sort of plotting out you know what we were gonna do on our you know with our training camp preview. And you know now is the time of year where you start to sort of develop those ideas and, and you know start to put the legwork in on, uh, yeah. on getting some of those stories. And, you know, the first thing that he said was, you know, I, I, I feel like my first thought is building this thing around the offensive line. It's not the sexiest position in the world, and it's maybe, maybe not the uh, always the most interesting, but at least in terms of this team, it, I think it's got the most question marks. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be uh, a major focus of, of our coverage leading up to leading up to training camp and then during training camp is just sort of what's developing daily and, and weekly along that, uh, along that offensive line. And, uh, you know, when you look at the season that Josh, Allen, I mean, let's face it, right. It all comes down to Josh Allen. And when you look at the season that he had last year, yeah, his running blew people away. He was more athletic than I think anybody gave him credit for coming out of college. And it was super impressive, but it's not something that I don't, I, I feel like this team does not want him to have to do that as much this year. And if that's the case, he needs to get better protection. And then, and then you look at the running game too. And if LaShawn McCoy is to bounce back, a, a big part of that is the, the offensive line needs to do a better job of giving him room to run. Good segue. Given his contract, man, his age, the cap money, they could have saved had they cut him even though the cap's not a problem with the Bills at all right now. But his declining production last year, all the off-field crap still lingering around a little bit. Are you a little surprised that the Bills didn't move on from LaShawn McCoy this offseason, whether they whether it was a cutting him or trying to trade him? Are you a little bit surprised that he's still around, especially if they went out and they signed Frank Gore, they signed Yeldon, yeah. they drafted somebody in the third round, yet LaShawn McCoy's still here, and he's still very much poised to be the starter in week one. I can't say that I'm surprised only because Brandon Bean, the uh, their their general manager, who I have found to be, you know, pretty honest and forthcoming when when we have questions for him. I I, I think that it's been really refreshing to have a GM, particularly after the last GM we had in Doug Whaley, who isn't afraid to answer a question. And and that's not to say that Bean is going to always tell you everything that's going on. There there'll be times where you know he he declines to answer something. That's understandable, but at least as it relates to LaShawn McCoy, he has said he's been steadfast in saying that LaShawn McCoy is, is a part of this team's plans in 2019. He called him, you know, the starter on the, on the night that the bills drafted Devin Singletary in the third round before the question was even asked. He said, I want to stop you guys right now. I know what, I know what's coming. LaShawn McCoy is our starter. And when the, when we rolled the ball out on the first day of whatever it was, spring practice or training camp, whatever he said, 
he said LaShawn McCoy is going to be that guy. So the Bills are going to give him every opportunity to show that he can become the player that he had been for them in the first three years of his Bills career. And, and you know, before that, that he had been with the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, this is a guy that I think right now is, is sort of borderline for the Hall of Fame. I don't think that he's there just yet. But, you know, if he's able to have a couple more thousand yard type seasons, he might very well be in that Hall of Fame conversation. So I think that's I'm not surprised that he's still here in that in that regard. Now, I will say, though, that by going and signing Frank Gore, by signing TJ Yelding, by signing Devin Singletary, if for whatever reason, LaShawn McCoy gets the training camp and just doesn't have it anymore. I think the Bills very easily could move on from him, and, and you could make a compelling case, as you mentioned, with the cap savings that would be involved, uh, why you would want to do something like that. Or if, uh, you know, say another team uh, that has a veteran running back maybe suffers an injury or something like that and wants to offer you a draft pick for him. I'm not ruling out the possibility that LaShawn McCoy isn't on this team, but I think he's going to get every opportunity to prove that he deserves to be and, and sort of play out the contract. Now, do I expect him back next year? Absolutely not. I think we're I think we're watching the end of LaShawn McCoy's career with the Bills. It's just a question of does that come before or after the 2019 season? Now, the way you laid it out, it makes perfect sense. Now, at the time, though, during the draft, were you a little surprised that they used a third-round pick on a running back considering that they already had McCoy, Gore, and Yeldon and that there was a lot of speculation that that would probably be a point of the draft where they would look to get a wide receiver, a tight end, which they did because they traded two fours to get Dawson Knox, or maybe a yep. pass rusher was on the board, supposedly, you know, at that time in the draft. So when they took somebody in the third round, did that surprise you a little bit? Yeah, slightly. Absolutely. It did. You know, I, I was thinking that why that, you know, that was wide receiver time. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people were thinking that now, you know, I will say though, that, you know, you can make a case and had the bills not signed TJ Yeldon uh, shortly before the draft, I think everyone would have been saying, hey, they got to get a running back. They've got to get a young guy in there behind LaShawn McCoy, Frank Gore. Well, is TJ Yeldon really changing your plans or your thoughts that much? I mean, certainly I don't think he should. And let's face it, McCoy, Gore, 36 years old. McCoy is going to be 31 before the start of the season. Those guys don't have a lot of time left. So there's no question that running back was, if you want to consider it a long-term need, uh, it absolutely was that. And you could make the case that it was, you know, it was sort of a short term need too. Now I will say though, that the, the question, and, and I wrote this in, in a, a mailbag a couple of weeks ago, and I had a couple of people kind of push back against the idea a little bit, but if LaShawn McCoy shows he should be the starter, Frank Gore is going to carve out a role as sort of that, that second running back who gets 10, maybe 12 carries a game. If TJ Yeldon performs well and shows that he can be a third down back and, and sort of specialize as a pass receiver, I have no idea where that leaves Devin Singletary as a rookie. And, and quite frankly, maybe I think next it, to maybe next to you in the press box. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I th- right. I think I think he's he, you'd be looking at a possibility of a guy being you know sort of healthy and active, and and they almost treat his redshirt uh, or his rookie season as a redshirt season. And I think that's a, a, a certain possibility for Devin Singletary if those other three guys perform the way that the Bills, you know, hope and, and want them to perform. Let's flip to the other side of the ball for a few minutes here. What were your thoughts on the Jerry Hughes extension now that the Bills have locked him up for another two years? It seems like everyone 
likes the deal, except for our mutual buddy, Sully, Uncle Sully, as you said, (laughs) (laughs) you know, he's not a big Jerry Hughes guy. Are you, do you like to, do you think it's a good deal for the bills? I I mean, I think it's a fine deal for the bills. I I, I think that, you know, and, and Brandon Bean, uh, I think addressed it maybe uh, when, when he talked about the need or, or the, just the uh, quality pass rushers just by and large don't hit the open market. You just don't see it very often. And I think Jerry Hughes has shown uh, over the course of his Bills career that he can be a quality pass rusher. Now, I will be the first to say that I would like to see that sack number go up. You know, I mean, it has not been, I think it's what, five, five and a half, seven, the last three years right in that, yeah. right in that ballpark. And that's, you know, that's not, uh, as many as I would like to see. And I know that doesn't always tell the whole story. And, you know, there are certain games that you can go back and look at and say that Jerry Hughes dominated. I think back to the Minnesota game last year, for example, and he was an absolute terror in that game. And and we have seen him at times be unblockable one-on-one. We've also seen at times where he has sort of disappeared, at least in my mind, for for sort of large stretches. So I think, though, that when you when you had the uncertainty at the position with Hughes and Shaq Lawson being potential free agents after this year, Trent Murphy in a in a contract where the Bills could easily get out of it, they needed to kind of give themselves some stability there at defensive end. And the other part of this that I think could really be a benefit is what are they getting in in, in uh, Ed Oliver and what kind of presence can he be along that defensive line? Can he free things up for a guy like Jerry Hughes? I think that had to be part of their thinking. And, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, not picking a draft, uh, a pass rusher in the, in the, uh, in the third round when maybe they had that opportunity. Well, I think this, you know, this extension for Hughes had to be in their mind and that sort of lessened the need. I never thought of it that way. That's a, that's a good point. You just mentioned Ed Oliver. What do you think is a, realistic expectation that fans should have for him as a rookie. Realistically speaking, he's not going to be Aaron Darnold in year one. No, I don't. Right. And you know, that that's a tough comparison for him period. You sure. know, he might not ever be Aaron Donald. I mean, sure. Aaron Donald is the, uh, you know, is probably the best defensive player uh, in the NFL. If it's not Khalil Mack, it's, it's probably Aaron Donald. Right. So, um, so that's, you know, that's tough for Ed Oliver, but you know, it realistically, I expect him to start every game if he's healthy. I mean, I think he's a day one starter, uh, in terms of numbers, you know, I don't, I don't know, somewhere between, if you look at like the sack numbers that say Kyle Williams had over the last couple of years of his career, where, where were they between five and seven, something like that. I think that'd be a very solid start to a rookie career. Basically, what you want to see from Ed Oliver is, you know, that that sort of that interior pass rush that Sean McDermott has always talked about how valuable that is for his defense, for any defense, really. But when you think back to those Carolina defenses and K1 short and the way that they used him, that's what they have in mind for Ed Oliver. And that's a huge thing for a defense, because if you look at the, the, the problems that a player like Donald creates i mean that you just can't get that from many places and and i think that the way the draft board fell for them with ed oliver falling to nine and kyle williams retiring that fills the need about as well as you possibly could have filled it in the draft and so there will be high expectations on him and if you're a bills fan you want to see him in the lineup day one and if he's not something went wrong quite frankly i got two more questions for you here jay i'm not a bills homer by any means okay not at all but I have to say this, all right? They go 6-10 and 10 last year. Josh Allen, I think he went 5-5 five and five in games that he played the full game or something like that. He was right yep. around 500 as a rookie. 
making a lot of mistakes. You would expect him to improve. The offensive line, no matter what, we talked about combinations. I don't care what combination you put out there. It can't be worse than last year. <laughs> it has to be better because last year was a complete joke. It was it was awful. All right? You sign Cole. You sign Brown on the offensive side. You add Frank Gore to the mix. You got a rookie who maybe he contributes at running back. Who knows? And then you flip to the defensive side of the ball. You got a lot of continuity. The only real major change is that Oliver will be in for Kyle Williams. And as much as I love Kyle Williams, and he's definitely a future Bills Wall of Famer, he has slowed down. You can make a case that if that Oliver plays up to the um, expectations that that many people have on him, that he could be as good as Kyle Williams was last year, maybe even better, even as a rookie. No question. Okay, now you got yeah, no Milano. Question. You got Milano back. And again, just a, a defense that played well last year that for the most part is back and healthier. Yet, Vegas only has him at six and a half wins over under for the season. Mm-hmm. Don't you feel like that's pretty low? That's only a half a win better than they were last year. And I just added a bunch of reasons why I think this team should be better. Now, by no means am I saying the Bills are going to be 11 and five and, you know, clinch a wild card spot at week 14 or anything like that. But man, doesn't six and a half wins, doesn't it feel a little bit low to you? Or am I wrong yeah. here? Am I being a homer? No, no. I mean, it absolutely feels low to me, but I'll take it a step further. It's not that they should be better. It's that they have to be better. You cannot go six and 10 again or worse than that. If, if that is the case, we're having serious, serious conversations about is this, is this front office? Is this coaching staff in trouble? Uh, is the quarterback really the quarterback of the future? I mean, they have to improve that win total in my mind by a bare minimum of two games. And ideally they improve it by at least three games. I'd like to see them be over 500 this year. I think a nine and seven record is attainable. I think they could get to 10 and six. If, if things go well, uh, they've got to get off to a good start though, because when you look at the, the December schedule and the really the second half of the schedule, it gets tougher for them. So they've got to come out ready to play right away. And that's going to be a challenge for this team. And particularly for this coaching staff, when you look at, 18 undraft or uh, excuse me unrestricted free agents that they brought in the draft class that they brought in and and who they expect to contribute from that pretty quickly that's a lot of new faces that they're going to have to incorporate into this lineup but you know the time for excuses is over for this team the time to win is absolutely right now they've got Josh Allen on his rookie contract it costs next to no money for a starting quarterback right now you can spend money and they did in a lot of different places and if they stay healthy and, you know, they've got, you know, to me, the expectation has to be bare minimum eight wins. Ideally, they get to nine and 10 and they're right in that playoff conversation. If that happens, you can feel reasonably sure. And, and particularly, I guess it depends on the way that happens. You know, it, and if, if Josh Allen is going out there and being a big part of them winning games, that's going to be encouraging for the future. It's not going to be so encouraging if they get to nine and seven but they did it by winning 13 to 10, a lot of games, you know what I mean? And the defense just, you know, dominates or something like that. So that's what ultimately it comes down to for me is all of these moves that they made you know, it's all well and good. It's all great. And you can like some of them, you can love some of them, or you can maybe not like some of them. They're all secondary though, to me, what matters for this team is Josh Allen's development. Can he become the guy? And the Bills went out and said, we need to give you better protection. Okay, we completely retooled your offensive line. We need to give you better weapons. We went out and we signed two veteran receivers, guys who can play in this league, have shown that over and over again. We went out and added a running back who's going to be a, a veteran leader. We added some tight ends, both in free agency and the draft. So 
the there will be no excuses for Josh Allen this year. It's all in front of him from day one of spring practice into training camp. He's the unquestioned starter. He gets the the reps that come along with that. So now it's time to see that development. And you know, I, I just can't stress it enough. Uh, you know, it, enough, enough about when, you know, and down the road, it has to be now the future is now for this team. They need to start winning. You know, you mentioned the schedule. I lied. Now I have two more questions for you because you made <laughs> me think of something when you were talking about the schedule. Some people say it doesn't matter because you already know who you're playing. I don't buy that. I do think a schedule is important. Do you think it's advantageous to the bills, the schedule they got this year, because they start off with both New York teams on the road. I mean, they are road games, but they're going to be winnable games. The rosters aren't going to change that much that you would consider the Bills heavy underdogs. They're playing the Jets and Giants. They're at home against Cincy. Those are three games that at least you got to figure they could come away with two of those three, especially with a young quarterback. Don't you think it's important to be able to get off, have a better chance to get off to a better start? Like for an example, on the opposite end, for people who say the schedule doesn't matter, let's just say that they open up the season against New England, and then they're at Pittsburgh and at Dallas weeks two and three. You have a bad couple weeks, you're playing three of the best teams in the league, and bam, you're 0-3. The season's you're on life support after three weeks. You know what I mean? Do you think that the schedule means something when it comes out? Or are you just like, you know what? You got to play these teams anyway. What's your take? No, I, I mean, I absolutely think it means something. And, you know, the way that these games fall and the order that they fall is important. When you look at, and I mentioned how difficult December is going to be. You've got week 15 at Pittsburgh, week 16 at New England. We can say today reasonably with with a you know being reasonably confident that those two teams are going to be firmly in the playoff mix and are going to be very very difficult asks for the bills so the idea that you would say oh well they got to play them anytime i mean i get i i guess i understand that sentiment but no i think absolutely that's tough and i think it's five out of seven games in the second half of the schedule are on the road yeah. that's a big t- you know that's a big ask for a, for a young quarterback to have to go on the road and play winning football in november and december one of those games is on a short week at dallas on thanksgiving that's a, about the biggest stage in the nfl you can get and i know bills fans are excited about that game and it, it is very cool that they're going to be playing in it but by the way that's going to be a tough game for this for this team to win so yeah, the order of the games to me matters uh, a, pre- a pretty good amount. And and you said, you know, you look at weeks one through three, right? If they go anything less than two and one, I think they're in huge trouble this season. Yeah. And I think they've, you know, they've got a chance to get to three and oh. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, you know, particularly with back to back road games to start the season. That's that's a challenge. But they got to come away with at least two of uh, two of those wins, I think, to sort of set themselves up for the rest of the year and to give themselves a realistic chance at being in the playoff conversation deep, deep into the season. To me, that is an, an absolute must this year. I'm not saying a hundred percent that they have to get in the playoffs or they need to fire everybody, anything like that, but they got to be in the conversation. Last question. Then I'm going to let you go this time. All right. It doesn't necessarily <laughs> have to be big and bold, but I like to play these kind of games. Give me a surprise training camp storyline that'll unfold, whether it's a cut Someone maybe overtaking someone at a position, an addition to the team, something like that. Putting you on the spot a little bit here, but still, All what right. do you think? Give me a give me a surprise this summer. Well, uh, I'm going to go with Robert Foster emerges as this team's number one receiver. I think that if you look at what they've got at the position, and 
clearly by, you know, having the, you know, whatever level of interest they had in Antonio Brown, and, and certainly they kicked the tires, they know that a number one receiver is still a need for this, you know, for this franchise. And it's still something that uh, they're lacking. I think when you look at Robert Foster's skill set and the physical tools that he has, the size, the speed, the strength, I think he comes as close to sort of filling that prototype of a number one receiver as anybody that they have. And he's got the work ethic to match. I mean, there are some pretty impressive stories about Robert Foster and just the amount of of work that he has put in, whether it be sticking around last year during the bye week to throw with Josh Allen or to be the first bill to report this off season to, uh, to work with the strength and, and conditioning staff. I think that there's a lot to like there in terms of, of the way that, you know, he is going about trying to establish himself as an NFL player. And I, I, I really, I really believe in the skill set that he has. And I also love the story. I love the fact that the guy was an undrafted, you know, free agent from Alabama. He comes in, he wasn't, he had, he had a mediocre, if you even want to say that college career, he gets cut, right? He gets yeah. cut from the bills, gets put on the practice squad and it serves as a wake up call. I mean, what more, uh, what better story could you have for a player? So I, I think that he would be my breakout candidate for this team this year. I like it. I like it a lot. I like Robert Foster. All right, everyone, give Jay a follow on Twitter at Jay Skursky. And of course, check out all of his work at the Buffalo News. Thanks a lot, Jay, man. This was fun. I really appreciate having you on again. And also, I apologize. I did tell you before we started taping that this interview would not go long, like the first time that it would be much shorter. But it's just the way it is, man. We get talking football and you know, things happen, man. Well, I'm, I'm long winded. That's uh, that's a newspaper guy in a nutshell. Right. We just uh, we can't be uh, brief in anything that we do. But, uh, hey, let's do it again. I don't want to have to wait another uh, 117 episodes or whatever it was. So <laughs> let's let's do it again soon. All right. <laughs> All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for this episode. Big, big thank you again to my man, Jay Skursky from the Buffalo News. I tell you what, Jay kind of gets lost in that shuffle a little bit when it comes to the Buffalo News. Over this last year, all those guys leaving for a variety of reasons. Jay's still there, quietly goes about his business, and he covers the Buffalo Bills I know there's a lot of good Buffalo Bills reporters out there. I'm a fan of many of them. Jay's as good as any of them. I love the job that he does. Appreciate his time. It was a good interview. Really appreciate you, Jay. So thanks again. Guys and girls, if you have not yet done so already, I don't know why, but some of you haven't. I would like to formally invite you to subscribe to this podcast. It is quick, it is easy, it is completely free. You subscribe, new episodes automatically get sent directly to your phone, to your computer, to your iPod, to your iPad, to whatever it is that the cool people are using these days. It gets sent within mere minutes of the release. That is always the benefit of being a subscriber. You're going to get the episode future award-winning episodes before anyone else. Got new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. 
Don't forget to also rate and review the show. It only takes a minute to do, and I say it all the time. Doing so really helps me grow this podcast tremendously. You can find the show anywhere podcasts are found. Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, all those fun things. We're pretty much everywhere. You can also subscribe to our new YouTube page. Well, kind of new anyway. You just go on YouTube, type in Analytics Podcast. Pretty simple there. Pull it up, hit that subscribe button, click that little bell next to it so you'll get notifications. I have highlight clips from current and past episodes up there. Been doing a little bit of original audio content. Maybe I might dabble in a couple videos down the road. Who knows? But anyway, you got that. Last but not least, man, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Tweets. Thanks again for listening. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.